you look at it from the point of view, a big point of view, if you if you step back and get in the helicopter and look, you know, from above, that first twenty year experiment of youth ministry of Soul Revival was like an opportunity for young people to interface with the cultural change and come up with some new strategies of ministry. And the second, so that's the first part of the shock absorber, the young people coming up with new ideas in the face of cultural change. The second part of the cultural shock absorber is when older people, adults, think through those ideas theologically with the young people, have a conversation with them, and then adapt the adult expressions of the church in line with some of the new ideas that the young people have come up with. So Soul Revival Church Plant, in a way, became the second stage of the shock absorber. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to season two of the Shock Absorber podcast, a podcast brought to you by Soul Revival Church on Church and the Culture. And my name's Joel, and I am here with my co-host, Stu Crawshaw. How are you today, G'day, Stu? Joel, and g'day, everybody. It's, it's good to be here. It's really excellent to be back. We're finally doing this again. Yeah. Um, held back by a few things, including my wife having another baby. Which is so, very exciting. Yes, it's very exciting. But and how are they doing? They're doing really well. Yep. Thank you. Um, she is the best sleeper out of all our children. She's our third. So yep. it's the, she's she's been the best so far during the night, which has been really quite nice when it's the third child. So that's yes. been awesome. Yes, yes. And tell her a little tell us a little bit about her. Uh, her name is Remy and she was born back in August and so she, yeah, she's just over 6 weeks old. And um, she's doing really well. Um, eating well. Like I said sleeping well is the best thing. And um, yeah, we kind of fallen into having a third child pretty easily, actually, which has cool. been... I mean, we've got a bit of practice with two before, but um, that's been really, really yeah, nice. Yeah, it's unreal. Yeah. Um, thank you for asking. You guys seem really happy. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, my wife's awesome. So to be able to do this um, while she's at home with three kids, she's been awesome to allow us to do that. But also she's just so... She's a natural. She's very, very good at what she does. Yeah, I think. that's cool, eh? Yeah. Um. Speaking of thank you, we should also thank you. Uh, say thank you to all the people that have actually listened to this podcast um, the first season because we've had over 400 downloads, I think, yeah, which wow. has been amazing. That, yeah, I'm um, surprised. Just something That's that massive. we decided to tack together at the end of last year and just have a go at. Mm. And now look where, <laughs> where we are yeah. with it. It's been really exciting. It is exciting. And we've also leveled up. We've got new equipment. We're on video, so mm. I'm waving to everyone that's on, on the camera right now. Um, and we've got a nice little sign, so we're pretty excited to get started yeah looking forward to this season heaps yeah i'm really excited about it. um now Stu, you're you're about to go on leave but unfortunately but yes well unfortunately for the podcast but not for you because yes. i think it's a well-deserved break it'll for be, yourself it'll be very fun where yes. are you where are you off to so uh me and the family are heading up to byron bay and oh, very nice we're gonna just relax enjoy ourselves um if you're not from australia byron bay is a really beautiful part of new south wales on the north coast uh, lots of sea and sand and uh, the hinterland is really beautiful. Lots of rainforest and really cool little communities. Uh, just really looking forward to go for a surf and hang out and enjoy. It's going to be good. Originally, you were meant to be going overseas, but weren't you? Yes, but COVID struck. COVID took yes, care of that. Yes, so we were going. We were very blessed to have the opportunity to have a European holiday. We're going to go to Europe mm. and uh, we're going to go and check out Turkey. And my wife, Louise, had organised for us to go to Anzac Day. Uh, oh, that would have been amazing. So that would have been amazing yeah. at Gallipoli in Turkey. So 
again, if you're not from Australia, that's a pretty important uh, date for us in Australia. Uh, and Anzac Day. Were you going like to check out some biblical sites? We and that were. Kind of yeah, we're yeah. going to check out Ephesus, and then we're going to go over to Greece, and we're going to check out Corinth, and yeah, well, that would, a few that would have been, cool. been really cool. Yeah, because yeah. we meant to go to San Diego in April mm-hmm. to visit my dad. He lives over in the US, mm-hmm. but that didn't end up happening either. Yeah, but right. Yeah. What have you learned? Like, obviously, being senior pastor of Sorrel Bible Church, what have you learned um, in terms of going through this? Like, it's unprecedented mm-hmm. in terms of a pandemic. What's like been some of the challenges and what's been some of the things that have been really exciting being like seeing how our church has like had to deal with that? Yeah, well, of course, uh, as everyone, it was, it took everyone by surprise. It was um, really overwhelming in the sense that we're really worried about everybody's health, uh, their physical health, their mental health, uh, keeping everyone safe and um, also seeking to continue to support people. Uh, I actually said to someone the other day, they said, what's it like being in COVID? And I said, well, Imagine yourself as a barista and you're making coffees for people and then you can all you can do is video yourself making coffees for people. That's <laughs> kind of how it felt a bit because yeah. we did uh, digital gatherings and we did really well. Um, but basically what, what happened when COVID hit was obviously we were listening to uh, all the instructions from our Archbishop and the, you know the Sydney Anglican Church were amazing in, in their uh, detailing and helping us to keep everyone safe. And we did have to wait for a while as a lockdown, um, but straight away we we actually did what we've been talking about in the last season. Like we talked to our young people and said, what do you think we do to face this new challenge? Like the shock absorber was really helpful for us because it was our young people that said, well, I think we can pull off some digital gatherings. And Joel, you said, I think we can put some of the sermons on a podcast. So we started a new uh, Sorrow Revival Church podcast and that had all our sermons on it. And Joel, thank you for all the work you've been doing on that. And um, we put stuff on Facebook and we, yeah, we just tried to adapt, I suppose. But in the midst of that, one of the other exciting things was that our youth ministry went around with packs and delivered it to kids. And we also went around to every family in the church and gave them a COVID pack and, you know, just a little um, pack with some coffee and some chocolate and whatever in it, just to say we love you. But yeah, we just we tried to keep bringing people, but to be honest, it was a really difficult time and continues to be a difficult time. But in our part of the world, uh, so far, we haven't been hit with um, a lot of the major uh, implications of COVID. So we've been very blessed, uh, and God has been very kind and generous to us so we, so far. We've actually been able to go back to doing physical gatherings the last yeah. four or five weeks, I yep, think. Yeah, um, that's right. Which has been really cool. Obviously, yeah. you've got to do the social distancing. Yep. You can't do singing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But I think it for me personally, just you talk about like. A mental health thing to be yeah, able to come yeah. back to church and see people at church has yeah, been awesome, yeah. and also our spiritual health. I mean, it's really yep. important for us as Christians to gather. So, I think you know when we got the heads up that we can get together, we thought let's try and make that happen as soon as we can, uh, not rush into it in the sense that we wanted to be silly about it. We put a lot of planning into it, but we did have an urgency, I suppose, to meet back together. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I've been really um, encouraged that we're still trying to push as hard as we can mm. within the limits of course mm. about like what we can do in terms of being able to get people to meet mm. and at least do as many of our services as we can and yeah yeah so through through the digital gatherings um our young crew were able to put together uh six gatherings a week which was amazing and the first season obviously we looked at the first 20 years of Saw revival yep. and providing a historical context for what informs how we do church now yeah um we kind of, at the end of the last season, led up to you and Matt departing Gaimere Anglican yeah, Church. Yeah. And, and, um, but this season will be about looking at how we started Gaimere, Ang- oh, sorry, started Soul Revival Church. Yeah, yeah. And then we moved on to, um, and how that's kind of played out from 2012 up until now, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, 
I thought as a bridge from what we were talking about in at the end of the last season into this season, I thought I could read out your um, what you wrote in the briefing in 2008. Yeah, yeah. I might just read that again, which says, this changes the postmodern emphasis on relevance, breaking the rules of modern youth ministry as we strive for more effective discipleship, leading to stronger Christian identity. Church would then become a place where young people are taught to be loyal to Christ, each other, and other outward-looking groups of like-minded Christians. Their heightened community awareness and global perspective will increase their mission effectiveness, giving them clarity and the kind of support that produces continuity in ministry. Such a ministry would become a nexus in the local church for creativity, aspirational direction, encouragement, dynamism, relational depth, fun and celebration, while at the same time challenging our comfort zones and fostering intergenerational and intercultural relating and identity in Christ. And I thought that was really cool because obviously when you're starting a new church, that's something that you might like to try and, mm. and do. In 2012, you're obviously, you're not mm. at church anywhere. Mm. What was what was the decision-making process to start planting the church? Yeah, that sounds like a good question, a good place to start. So if if we think of the question of how do you start a church, well, we, we were faced with that in 2012 and Basically, after Matt and I resigned from Guyman Anglican, uh, Matt and I uh, chatted with our bishop, Peter Haywood, who uh, is the bishop of our area, Wollongong, and we were talking to him and he was encouraging us to think about getting into church planning. And we were asking him heaps of questions about that and we um, were surprised when he told us that the area that we live in, the Sutherland Shire, which is in Sydney South, is... which we were thinking is is um, pretty much a Bible belt, meaning that there's so many churches around in Sutherland Shire that surely that was a place that was well serviced by the gospel. Um, uh, when we were talking to Peter, he was telling us that pretty much only uh, at most 4% of people go to church in the Sutherland Shire. So we were pretty shocked by that, actually. And when you consider the number of churches that there are in the Sutherland Shire, many have been around for a long time, most of the Anglican churches in the Shire were planted from Sutherland Anglican Church, which started back last century, and then just kept planting churches right, across okay. the whole area. And the latest church that was planted was uh, Menai Anglican, and that was planted in the late 80s, I think, maybe, around that time. So we hadn't done any new ones, but the population of the Shire had continued to grow. So there's about 260,000 people in the Shire and only 4% um, going to church. So um, we were also talking after we left Guy Anglican Church, we talked to Evangelism and New Churches, which is the church planning department of Sydney Anglican Church. And we were invited to join uh, ENC with, by a guy called Bruce Hall, who's a terrific, really uh, wise um, Christian leader and he's had lots of experience and he encouraged us uh, to plant in the Sutherland Shire as well and it just so happened that in Kirrawee uh, in the Sutherland Shire, a suburb called Kirrawee, they just started to talk about a massive new development which would pretty much be a new suburb, it was going to be so big and it was called South Village, uh, it's across the road now from where we are actually yep. but we we were encouraged to think about uh, planning a church to that new uh, group that was starting that, that new community that would be starting up and do it in the Sutherland Shire with the Anglican Church, with the evangelism in new churches. And what was terrific about that is even though uh, we weren't given any money or a place to meet, it was really important to us to have the accountability of being part of the Anglican Church still. So Matt and I are both ordained Anglican pastors, but um, because I hadn't 
um, done my all of my theological training at Moore College, if we were going to plan a church, um, then the Archbishop said it, it was really important for uh, us to um, have one of us uh, go to Moore College and finish off our study at Moore College. So, um, yeah, I put my hand up to, to go to Moore College and I went to Moore College, which is a terrific um, theological college in Sydney. We're really blessed to have that college and it's the Anglican Sydney Anglican College, so that worked out well. So basically in 2012 I enrolled um, to start my theological studies again and so that was pretty big deal because I was in my early 40s. Were you 40s. stoked on that or not really? Yeah, I was actually. Like I was fine with that, yeah. I mean I was a little bit um, nervous about planting a church and studying full-time but I thought we'll give it a go and see how we go and because Matt and I were doing it together – uh, that seemed to make sense. Um, our wives, Lauren and Lou, were really supportive. Um, but I like to think of our church plant as a bit of a, um, a base-jumping church plant because it's kind of like you jump off the cliff and you hope the parachute opens. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we were going we to start in Kirawee. We, we, uh, we joined ENC. So in January uh, we joined ENC, but there was just four of us. So that's pretty much how we started. But we were starting with ENC, Evangelism in New Churches, and... Bruce Hall was, um, we were accountable to him for all the things we we're going to do. So, yeah, we're excited to get a start off. That's how it started. When, when the bishop asked you, Peter, when Peter Hayward, the bishop, asked you to plant a church, what were your initial thoughts of that? Like, were you, like, very interested in doing it straight away or is it something you had to really think and pray about beforehand? Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, but I, like I said, I think I got really interested because he was saying that there were so few people Just going to church. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I, I've been a part of the Sutherland Shire for a long time and there's been um, a lot of really healthy partnerships that I've been a part of in the Sutherland Shire. So we thought if we do do something new in the Sutherland Shire, we'd really love to be a church amongst churches and work together with, with the people uh, around us as well and complement what was already happening. And like I said, focus on that new community in Kirawee particularly. So then... There's you and Lou and Matt and Lauren. Yep. That doesn't sound like a lot of people to plan a church. <laughs> what, what, That's right. What was, the, what was the kind of next step to well, do after that? Well, it was really lovely actually because ENC approached Guymer Anglican Church and said, would Guymer Anglican Church be willing to uh, bless Soul Revival with 30 people to form a launch team? Okay. And so that was uh, great uh, because Guymer Anglican Church said, yeah, that'd be, f- that'd be fine and uh, basically, instead of us asking anyone to come, we thought we'd wait and see who would approach us to come. And as people said that they'd like to come along, um, Guy Ranglican announced that we were planning the church and and that forming the launch team. And um, and basically, uh, thirty people approached us. And when we got to thirty people, I sat down with the minister at Guy Ranglican Church, and I just said, "Oh, look, these are the people who've approached us to go. Are you okay with that list?" And he said, yeah, yeah, that's fine, except for one person on the list. He wanted to talk to that one person, and that was fine too. And But then after they uh, talked, and um, basically it was great to have um, the minister's blessing for those people, to come, those 30 to come and join us. And so we then had a launch team, and we were able to start meeting. And we actually started meeting in my lounge room in my house. Yes, and we did. We, didn't we, Joel, because you were one of those people? Was, yeah, yeah, luckily. Yeah, it was not luckily, but yeah, it was, um, it was an exciting thing to be part of. Yeah, yeah, it was. Hey, so we met in the lounge room, and then we just started meeting in around February, uh, late February, I, can't I remember, think. To I think it was late February, March, somewhere around there. I can't remember. But yeah, we started meeting to work out what we we're going to do as a church. Were you like um, reading books on church planning or like trying to study about how people did church plants and what kind of was supposedly the best way to plan a church totally yeah we started reading uh during that time we started listening to podcasts like this we started to 
um, yeah, read stuff on the internet. But um, one of the things that was really helpful was one of the people who came with us, Adam Darvell, who ended up becoming our, our pastor's warden. Yeah. Um, I, I was talking to Adam one day and Adam's, and I'm like, oh, church planning, how are we going to start a church? And Adam said, um, well, we don't know how to start a church, but we know how to do soul revival. So let's do that. And that was probably the best advice I had at the beginning of that time because we thought, yeah, we've got all these ideas we've had over 20 years that if you do, if you haven't listened to the first season, you might want to, you know, tap into that first season of the shock absorber because that's a story of um, all the ideas that came up over that time. And we thought, oh, this is our opportunity to actually, yeah, do soul revival in a um, in, across a whole church. And a lot of the ideas for the shock absorber were obviously they were developed through doing youth ministry. Mm. How are you translating that to be uh, like a full ch- full church? How does that? Well, yeah, it's obviously going to yeah. be a little bit different. Yeah, How did you start yeah. kind of trying to translate that into yep. into being? Yep. Yeah, like well, we don't want to call it. I suppose I wasn't not an adult church, but a church for everything, not just youth yeah, ministry. yeah, yeah. Well, for those of you that might be just tapping into this uh, first episode of season two, we talked at in the last season about this idea of the shock absorber and we said a shock absorber is like um, the young people at the church are often on the coalface of cultural change and they often um, experience cultural change uh, faster than adults and sometimes they can be more flexible and so what we uh, learned to do as a youth ministry was listen to the voice of young people and include their voice in our planning and in our structures as a church and so the idea of a shock absorber is that if the church is like a car that's driving through time, uh, every now and again a car comes over up up against a bump and the bump in the road, the car goes over that using a shock absorber. Um, the shock absorber needs to be flexible and strong. So our thought was the young people are the flexibility of the church and the older people have the biblical wisdom and they're the strength, the theological strength of a church. So if you can get the young people and the older people to work together, as you come across cultural change, as we talked about in COVID, we had our young people say, why don't we do a podcast? And so our young and old actually work together and our older generations listen to our younger people saying, hey, we think this digital thing might work. So we tried it. Um, that that idea of a, a cultural shock absorber, if you look at it from the point of view, a big point of view, if you, if you step back and get in the helicopter and look you know, from above, that first 20-year experiment of youth ministry of soul revival was like an opportunity for young people to interface with the cultural change and come up with some new strategies of ministry. And the second, so that's the first part of the shock absorber, the young people coming up with new ideas in the face of cultural change. The second part of the cultural shock absorber is when older people, adults, think through those ideas theologically with the young people, have a conversation with them, and then adapt the adult expressions of the church in line with some of the new ideas that the young people have come up with. So Soul Revival Church Plant, in a way, became the second stage of the shock absorber, if you get what I mean. So the youth ministry was the first phase. Uh, when we were younger and we were Gen Xers in the late 90s, we were adapting to cultural change. Over the next 20 years, our young people continued to help us to remain flexible. And so all the ideas... Um, the strategy ideas and the practical ideas we came up with to preach the the unchanging gospel, 
which doesn't change, but but the way we uh, interact with our culture often changes. So those new ideas for strategy and practice were the things that we could now put in place in the church plant. So those early days in 2012, we're talking about what are the lessons that we learn in youth ministry in the 90s and the 2000s that we could try and implement across a whole church. So that was sort of how we approached it. And I think, that didn't we start calling that process um, like a greenhousing? Yeah, way? we did. Yeah, so those early yeah those early meetings were like we were workshopping the ideas. Yeah. But we called it a greenhouse in yeah, those at days. At the time we called yeah. it a greenhouse, but you want to you change that wording these days to, yeah, to workshopping, yeah. don't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that, that, that makes it simplified. But um, just to think about that greenhouse idea for a moment, yeah. the greenhouse was something we came up with because we were church planting. And when you have a plant, you don't put the plant straight into the garden. You put it the little seedling in a little pot and then that pot goes into a greenhouse. And so you put it under the shade and it grows and you water it and you fertilise it until it's mature and when it's mature then you can put it in the garden and so we thought that the first phase the first year of soil revival would be a greenhouse like let's not rush to have a public launch of the church let's think it through like what is our theology what is our strategy what is our practice going to look like and let's grow that idea together before we go to do that now you're right we now call that a a, sorry a workshop um just to to simplify it and the Actually, it was one of our um, our pastors in Soul Revival Church this year, uh, Paul, who had the idea to, you know, the, the greenhouse idea was great, but um, Paul said, well, you've got these two metaphors going, you know, we've got the greenhouse and a shock absorber metaphor. Yep. What if we just use the word workshop? Because that's what you do. You put your car in the workshop and you, before you take the car out on the road, you make sure the car's roadworthy. So, yeah, um, from, from now on we talk about workshopping. Um, but yeah, in the early days, we talked about it being a greenhouse. But you also like to use the workshop analogy with um, a VW <laughs> I do. philosophy, don't you? <laughs> yeah, that's a bit of a um, just a bit of a quirky thing for me because my first car was a Beetle, yep. and I thought about um, Paul's idea about calling it a workshop a bit, and I thought, well, if we if we take that metaphor and we have a play around with it, and we think, well, when you first get your first car. You don't need to have a big car because you've only got a few people to drive around in when you first get your P's in Australia, you get your provisional licence and you just drive yourself around most of the time and a few friends. So you just need a little car. My first car was a 70s Beetle. So I thought, oh, that's cool. And then as the as your life goes on and your family grows, you, know, you get married and you have kids, you get a bigger car. Well, in my case, when I got a bigger car, I was so into 70s uh, V-dubs that I bought a combi van. So, so yeah, well, we were having a... We've had a bit of fun with that, which we'll talk about in future podcasts, yeah. using those analogies for the first church plant you do is like a beetle, a little smaller car. You don't need too many structures to get going, but as you grow, you need to grow your structures and um, that will help you to kind of grow your um, ideas, I suppose. It helps, gives a bit of form to what you do. Yeah, that's cool. In that time when you're... when oh, Sorry, not when you're... I, I mean, the good thing about... Um, uh, this season is that I can actually comment on because I was actually a, a big part of actually planning the church. But um, when we were kind of working out how to mm. to obviously do the church, mm. um, were there any other things that were interesting? I know that um, I remember Matt brought that um, the triangle of tradition mm. and culture. Do you want to talk about that briefly? Yeah, that was super helpful. One one day we, if you can imagine, thirty people in a lounge room, and we had butcher's paper on the wall. 
And Matt got up one day and drew a triangle on the wall. And he said, guys, I think this will help us to focus on what's important as a church plant. And anyway, he drew a triangle. And if you could imagine a triangle at the top of the triangle, he wrote the Bible. And then on the left-hand corner, he wrote tradition down the bottom left-hand corner. And on the bottom right-hand corner, he wrote culture. And he explained what he was passionate about was that the Bible is our authority and the Word of God is unchanging despite the changing culture around us. So we need to make sure we're continually um, faithful to God's Word and that's our authority. Then we need to ask the second question, what, what traditions do we take with us as we start this new church plant? So we talked about the fact that uh, in, in our Anglican tradition, um, the way our services are structured are incredibly helpful. The prayer book actually structures a really helpful um, framework for people to to worship God, um, to, to come together and to confess their sins, uh, to pray, to read the Bible, to remind themselves of the truth of um, our creeds and different um, parts of the prayer book talk about different verses that are really helpful and encouraging at different times of the year. And then, you know, this, the reading the Bible is really, really important because when we read the Bible, it's actually God speaking to us directly. And so the sermon that's really helpful is to unpack that. And, you know, it's also super important for us to sing to God and to praise him and also to, um, yeah, to pray together. So those, those sort of traditions, we talked about those and other traditions like the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and, and, and things like that. What are the traditions that we really want to make sure that we continue? Because planning a church doesn't mean you throw out everything and start fresh completely. Uh, however, we also talked about the fact that we live in a culture in the Sutherland Shire that is changing. And this is obviously what this podcast is looking into. How does theology stay the, cha- stay the same? But how do we develop a strategy that helps us to speak that, that um, biblical message into the community that we're a part of? And um, I suppose the, the third part, theology stays the cha- same, our strategy can be different depending where we are, but the practice can look different in, in also in different parts of the ministry in Soul Revival as long as each of the practices have discipleship and mission as outcomes for what we do. So, yeah, that's sort of what we talked about. That was um, oh, that was the next thing I was going to bring on, the theology, mm. strategy and practice. Yeah, and it cool. sent, it sent, the triangle sounded a lot more like that yeah. um, or a lot very similar to that. Yeah, yeah. Can you remember, and this might be trying to delve too far back mm. into the memory, can you remember some of the things that stood out mm. for those three points that you we were like were like yes we definitely want that to be part of our church? Yeah, well, again in season one of the podcast we talked about the importance of being reformed evangelicals, and for us that was super important. And I'd encourage you if you're starting a church and you're thinking about church, think about what is your theological basis, like what is your theological community that you're a part of. I mean, we made some pretty big decisions, didn't we? We we joined. Uh, evangelism and new churches were invited to uh, i went to more college you know those kind of decisions were reflections of our theological passion really um, but as a church plant i think it's really important to have a good solid understanding of what is our theological basis uh, now i can't remember if we talked about it in the early days or not but over time we worked out a really helpful phrase to help us to summarize our theology and that phrase was jesus changes everything and we've got that now on a big poster in our church and we talk about it a lot. It's like a tagline. Um, it's like a tagline, yeah. It's the why of our church. Yeah. Why do we do what we do? Because Jesus changes everything. And, uh, you know, years ago we were really convicted by Matthew twenty two thirty seven to 40 where Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing? And he said, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm paraphrasing that. But basically loving God and loving others is um, what Jesus teaches us to do because God obeyed the will of the Father and he uh, went to the cross for us and laid his life down for us as a sacrifice. And in Romans 12 verse 1, Paul reflects on that and says, In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So we thought... You know, the fact that Jesus died for us on the cross and and took away the only barrier that's between us and God, our own sin, and took that upon himself so that if we repent, we believe in him and repent of our sin, then we, um, we, we have this wonderful forgiveness from God and experience his grace and his peace. And that that is just a wonderful new life that Jesus promises us. He says, I've come to give you life and life to the full. So... That theological reality of of what Christ has done for us on the cross, the fact that he died on the cross and rose from the dead and then he ascended into heaven and promised his first disciples and, and us too that he would not leave us as orphans and leave us alone but send the Holy Spirit to to be with us. So he's still with us. Um, we partner with him as he continues to grow the church. And so for us that theological reality uh, the gospel is is the driving why of why we do sorrow revival, but then when we thought about that, we thought, well, um, uh, as we and that was what we were doing as a youth ministry, and we we found that an easy transition. But then we ha- asked the hard question of like, does the does the strategies of sorrow revival youth ministry work I- as a church? And I think that's going to be the fun story of this podcast: what translated, what worked, what didn't work. How mm. how did we try? to implement some of the things that were in the youth ministry across the board. But again, we, and I think we did have this phrase come up pretty early, but we thought of our strategy as our how. How do we do what we do? So if the reason why we do stuff is Jesus changes everything, then how does Jesus change everything? And how do we partner with him as he changes everything? And we came up with the phrase, share the truth and love of Jesus person to person, generation to generation culture to culture and place to place. So we thought that was a really nice holistic way of saying let's preach the gospel and share our lives. I feel like and do that with everyone. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, it's all right. Um can you uh, unpack that um, culture to culture place to place a little bit more? I think people hearing that they haven't heard that before. Can yeah, you explain yeah. that a little bit more? Yeah, sure. So uh, what what ended up taking place with our youth ministry was we ended up with an intergenerational aspect to our ministry. So um, we we started as a group of young adults who wanted to become friends with the inappropriate ways with the young people we were leading so they could grow up and become friends with us. We were their leaders first, but then we're also um, running a friendship group on a Saturday night that our teenagers grew up into. And that became an intergenerational community over many years. And so um, we called that an all-age, all-stage expression. So when we talked about sharing the truth and love of Jesus, obviously we want to encourage Christians to share their truth sorry, share the truth and love of Jesus person to person, in other words, one-on-one. But we also wanted them to continue to do that generation to generation. And that was our um, understanding of let's let's be sharing the gospel as an all-age, all-stage church. But then when we thought about that, we thought, well, generational difference is not the only difference we want to embrace in our culture. Let's also embrace cultural difference. And so let's be aspirational in our embrace of other cultures. Now, in our area of Sydney... It's not very culturally um, diverse, but we wanted to be a church for all cultures, uh, not just uh, 
predominantly Anglo culture, which was what we grew up in. So that's where the culture piece came in. Was that a, a choice to do that? Was that a lot to do with what you learnt when you spent so much time with our Aboriginal brothers and sisters? Is that yeah, I mean, I think so. I think that was that was a big part of it because by the time we planted Sorrel Revival Church, we'd already been friends with Isaac and Eileen Gordon at Brewarrina for 12 years and their family and their ministry had become part of our family and our ministry. And I think that also, Joel, led to the second part, the place-to-place because even though we were Soul Revival Church, we wanted to be uh, a church amongst churches and be supporting and being supported by other churches. And so um, we wanted to, you know, in, instead of competing with other churches, we were hoping to become part of an ecosystem of churches and we wanted to learn from other churches. And uh, we'd learn a lot from the Gordons Ministry. For example, out in Brewarrina, one of the key things that they do at church that had become one of their traditions was that they'd have a meal after church every time they had church. So we'd drive 10 hours out to Brewarrina, which is in northwest New South Wales, and we would um, we, we would have church with them. And then after church, we'd go around someone's house for a feed. And we enjoyed that so much that as a Soul Revival community, we started having feeds with each other more and more. We'd done that a bit in the 90s, but that became more and more a part of what we did as a youth ministry on a Saturday night. So when we started the church, we thought... Let's let's actually take that that Aboriginal influence into our church and and have that Aboriginal Christianity influence us. So even though we live in the city uh, and they live in the country, we thought we'd we'd take that practice on board, and that was something that uh, really impacted us. And so we thought by putting that in our strategy, what we were doing was articulating that um, that heartbeat to to seek to be engaging and being. Uh, friends with other churches as well in other places and also with the dinner thing for example we always have dinner after church which we'll talk about in the podcast to come like how how we do that we now every time we have a meeting we have a meal almost yes and and even after covid now we've started having our meals again in a safe way which has been amazing it has (laughs) been great um what about uh if you if we were starting a a church for everyone Mm. of all ages and all stages how did um, what were the thoughts around kids ministry? Because we still had quite a few kids, even with the thirty people mm. that we were starting the church with. Yeah, well, uh, a couple of things happened. So to to think through that, that's obviously sharing the truth and love of Jesus generation to generation. Um, just one thing before we go on to the kids that that will help answer that question okay, too yeah. is thinking theologically helps us to think about how we do what we do, and then. Our practice is our what. What do we do? So when it comes to kids' ministry, the practice in kids' ministry might look a bit different to the practice in some other part of the ministry um, because you know kids will have different discipleship and missional needs. But if we have that desire to have discipleship and mission across all our practice, then that will be really helpful, we're thinking. And so the, the, the why and the how needs to, to affect the practice, but the, there needs to be flexibility of practice. So with kids early on, we, we only had a few kids early on and we saw, sought to make sure that we didn't think of the kids as the church of the future, but we thought of the kids as the church of the present as well. And we started to throw in some really fun, cool ideas about not having the adult meeting and then having the kids meeting separately, but have um, times where we'd be together around a meal so that we're already getting to know them that way. But we also thought that um, from time to time during the church, uh, over the year, we'd have the kids be with us in the church. So when we have Christmas, for example, that's a great example of that. But then also on top of that, we had, came up with this new idea called Kids Chill. And Kids Chill was what if we actually uh, had a kids teaching time before church starts while people are having a coffee 
And then during church, some of the members of the congregation who were safe adults who had working with children checks, things like that, could go and hang out with the kids in their space as well as having the kids come and hang out with us in our space. And that, that started some really cool new um, that's, ways of living as well. That's the generational interaction that you were yeah, talking about. Yeah. Was that inspired by the Rello Bashes? Yeah, so back in the first season, we talked about Rello Bashes as a chance to get the whole community together. Basically, in the new church plant, we tried to have a Rello Bash in every week. So every week we'd have a church service and there'd be all ages present. Um, one of the one of the beautiful memories I had, you know, I'm fast-forwarding a bit now, but to fast-forward a bit, one of the church services we had, my mum, who's in her 70s, one week. She's the best. Yeah, Bev. She's got a plate of food in one hand and she's holding uh, one of one of the uh, young primary school girls' hand in the other and the primary school girl's got a plate of food in her hand and she looked up at Bev and she said, come on, Bev, you're going to come and have dinner with me tonight because <laughs> everyone else is always talking about you. It's it's Tonight's just our chance to have dinner together. And so we've just created this space and people fill it with these really cool things that can take place. That's really cool. Um, what about some examples of um, other practices that you decided to do? Um, uh, how uh, community groups, for example, or how could um, how could um, we do things like um, you know how we're welcoming people into the church and yeah, stuff like that? Yeah. How do we how did we come to that those result decisions to begin with? Yeah, so how we came up with new decisions on different practices. Again, in what we were calling the greenhouse that we now call the workshop, we're workshopping all these different things before we even started. So um, each week we we take a different topic. So we talk about kids ministry, we talked about youth ministry, but we didn't do anything in youth ministry to start off with because we wanted to look after Guy Ranglican's youth group. So we thought we'd wait a year before we started the youth group, even though we we're doing kids ministry. Um, other practices like community group and things like that, we started thinking, how do we actually come up with a new way of helping volunteers, as many volunteers as possible, be a part of the ministry as we can? And so um, what we started to do was think up, um, what if what if we had different service teams that were headed by volunteers, that volunteer people could join, and what would those different volunteer teams be? And in the early days, I think we had about eight or six or eight, something, something like that. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, but now we've actually sat around and thought about it even more broadly, and we've got 10 now, which we'll again talk about in a different podcast. But that just meant that right from the very get-go, we wanted to give every Christian an opportunity to serve in the church. And I remember one particular night, Joel, we had a really good conversation, and then afterwards we had a fire at my place around the fire, and some of the people had gone home, and you and me and some of the others stayed, hey, and we just kept talking about it. We got really excited like about those kind of ideas. Yeah, yeah, we did, eh? Yeah, yeah. And we got excited about that idea about being on mission together and discipling together, hey? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of my um, favourite conversations we had in a long time. It was kind of like we were discussing, like, what does it mean to be a soul revivalist kind of thing, like, and, and be part of that model of ministry. Mm. And... Um, yeah, I think a lot of good things came out of that discussion. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. So those sorts of things are starting to tumble out. But the real important part was how do we start to form this up ready to be able to launch the church? And for years again, as a youth ministry, we used to go away once a year and we used to call it a week away. And so we went away as a launch team. There was 30 of us went away together. Yeah. And the week away was the first time we started to t- make shape. We had a kids ministry. We, had, um, we, we formed an arts team that were pulling the services together. We had um, the hospitality team and we started the welcoming team and we start pulling these things together at that holiday. And from then on, after the week away, which was around the middle of the year, July, so that's kind of how long it took us. We didn't rush. We we 
we'd kind of taken our time um, and we got to after the week away and that's when we started to practice. So one week we'd do a church service and then we'd talk about it the next week. But um, it was important for us to gather all that information as Matt had drawn on the triangle, you know, you know, the Bible's our authority, but what are the tradition we want to bring with us and what are the new cultural ex- stuff we're going to do? The other thing we want to do, which I wanted to mention, is it's really good to go around and see what other churches do. So while we were not going to church every week, we were visiting churches here and there. And my wife Lou, for example, was going around looking at different welcoming uh, ways people welcome and, and all that was happening as well. But then after July, that's when we started trying to work out, okay, let's start putting some form into this. Yeah. Can you talk also about, um, I remember there was a book that was really influential in us as a church, was The Trellis and the Vine. Do you want to talk about what you learned from that and how it influenced what we decided to do? Yeah, we asked earlier were there things we were reading. One of the books was Trellis and the Vine by Cole Marshall. And Matt and I actually visited Cole Marshall and went and talked to him. And we said Cole, Cole Marshall had done a lot of amazing training over from the 80s, 90s, 2000s, and his book was basically uh, a really exciting summary of all of that and we said to Cole like um, what do you think about ministry going forward and he said guys the one thing that I think I'd do differently is that I we, we formed up a lot of structures to help get more people to go to Bible college to become ministers which was great but he said I would have liked to have got more people in the local church to have an opportunity to serve so one of the big messages we got from Cole Marshall and his book was, and Tony Payne's book was, how do we create these spaces, these practical ways for people to serve? Uh, one of those ways was through local church training. So he really influenced us with that. And we'd already been doing Berea, uh, which was a local church training. So we continued to make that lot, one of our service of, teams. A lot of practice in that. Already, yeah, so yeah, for cool. sure. So that was helpful. But the other thing that was helpful was uh, Cole had a metaphor as well for ministry and it was the trellis and a vine. So his idea of the book, if I could summarize it, is basically there needs to be balance with your ministry that you have your personal ministry, person-to-person ministry, and the structures of your church. So the structures of the church shouldn't get too big and overwhelming and neither should they be old-fashioned out of date and too small because if they're too big, the vine won't grow up properly and if you don't water the vine enough and you spend all your time building structures, then the vine dies. You've got this church with great structures. But then the other thing that can happen is if the vine grows up too big and quick and the structures can't hold it, it'll break the trellis. So that idea of balance was good. And again, as we move towards thinking about this metaphor of the car driving through time, we started thinking, well, if we're going to use the metaphor of a car, we can adapt the trellis and the vine metaphor well, the car is the structure of the church and the people in it is the, is the person ministry, person-to-person ministry. And so the bigger your church gets, you need more structures. Hence, you need to go from a beetle to a combi, for example. But in these early days, we're still at a beetle stage just in the first year. But that trellis and the vine was really helpful and I'd really thoroughly recommend it. We might put a link to it in the podcast for people to get that book because yeah. trellis and the vine is a terrific Yeah, absolutely. Group. We'll chuck that in the show notes. Yeah. Um, one final question about practice. What... What were the thoughts around location and where we were going to like have our first yep. gathering? Yep, really big pr- problem for us in the Sutherland Shire because although there's only 4% of people go to church, the places that have um, designated places of worship, there's not um, enough buildings around for, for 260,000 people. Uh, so we're meeting in a lounge room. It's also an area of Sydney that's quite expensive, so real estate was really expensive. And we, as a group of 30 people were um 
that all the money that we had came from that group of people who were very generous, but that was a real limiting factor in the early days. Where are we going to meet? Uh, I spoke to a friend of mine, Tim McLaughlin, who was from um, President Avenue Community Church, and they uh, were so super generous, and they let us use their place on a Saturday night, and Tim was very excited about um, partnering with us in that way. So it was in Kiroi, and that was the suburb we wanted to go into because uh, it's near the uh, development. And so, yeah, we partnered with President Avenue Community Church for nearly two years uh, as we met in their hall on a Saturday night. So that's where we started to meet. We moved from my lounge room to the, to that church. And I think that's probably a good spot to leave in, in order to look at it in the next uh, episode, which was the influence of Saturday night in doing a church plant. I mean, we started yeah, yeah. Uh, our first service or gathering yeah. was on a Saturday night rather than a Sunday night, which is often the way to do it, yeah, yeah. the way, way it's done. Um, so we'll look at that next week. Yeah. But the one thing to finish on in the podcast is that we do have a question that's yep. come in. Yep. And that's from Riley, who is, um, he's planning a church in Parramatta yep. with Sovereign Grace. Yep. So it's really um, quite an applicable uh, mm-hmm. question. But his question was, how do you apply the principles of the shock, absor- shock absorber if you don't have any youth in your church? Mm. We started our plant with 30 and the oldest child was eight or nine years old. Mm. What do you what do you reckon about that? Yeah, I think that's a great great question. Um, two things I'd say. First of all, uh, it takes about five years to build a culture. I think so. Even though you don't have a lot of teenagers in your church yet, if you're a church without a lot of teenagers and young adults, you can still start building that culture of listening we'll to young that. people. And building that culture can involve things like well, what we did was kids chill or having dinner where where we'd talk to the, to the children and in a safe way, in appropriate ways, we'd actually um, help them to be a part of uh, what we're doing as a church. So starting early on with those young people, giving them opportunities to input into the church. As they grow up, they'll uh, get more and more excited to help that process. But the other thing to say is that so many things in church are aspirational. As I said, that, that culture-to-culture piece for us, the Soul Revival Church in Kirawi in the Southern Shire, was in the early days mainly aspirational. And so we were, were praying and looking for opportunities to reach out to other cultures. And I think that uh, two things that churches can do in that aspirational stage is there, there's still this sense where there will be older and younger people in the church and there's an opportunity for there to be sharing of theology from the older people and the younger people to be able to share some of their cultural understandings, even if the gap isn't, as, isn't that wide. But the other thing churches can do is build relationships with other churches, be partnering with other churches that they trust that have the same theological why, have similar strategy, so that they might actually be able to invite the young people in those different churches to also input in, in and speak into the context they're in too. So there's two ideas anyway. So can, can I just clarify what you're saying? So you're saying that kind of be ready to put the structure in place even if you don't have... The, um, the age that you're thinking you should have. Yeah, that's a good good way to think about it. It's like build towards it. Like yeah. build towards where you will want to go. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's um. That's a good way to finish. I yeah. Think. Okay. Um. That's the end of episode one for season two on the Shockers over guys. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much, Stu. Um. I'm really glad we're back on board and we'll have plenty more to come out after mm-hmm. this. So thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Joel. Thank you. Thank you.